Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up, a special concert and conversation with one of our favorite bands, Hartford's very own West End Blend. The band recently stopped by to CPBN's Chase Family Studio to play some of their music off their brand new record called Rewind. Can't wait for that. It's coming up in a bit. But first, next Wednesday marks the start of the Latino and Iberian Film Festival at Yale University. Joining us now to talk more about it is festival director Margarita Totora. And welcome to Where We Live. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, John. Thank you for having me here. Well, why don't you tell us about the festival? How did it get started? Well, um, I was a director of another film festival for five years called the New England Festival of Ibero-American Cinema, and it took place in Providence, Rhode Island, and New Haven. So um, I decided to just stop working with that and have something more grassroots, more local. One of the things I I find interesting and and really important about this is we often, when we talk about anything cultural, we we will break it down into things that are Latin American. And then we we tend not to think across the ocean, but you are linking these two uh, cultures that are linked by the Spanish and Portuguese languages, certainly, but by an awful lot more. Can you tell us why that's important from a cultural standpoint to to link uh, the the Iberian Peninsula and the Latin American diaspora in this way through film? Well, it's very important in the fact that um, the language unifies Spain and Portugal. And all the colonies, right, of uh, when the Spanish Empire took over all these places, they brought their language, which was a means of conquest, but also it's a means of communication. And even though Spain and Portugal are part of Europe, their influence was very greatly felt in the Americas and in the African colonies and other places that they uh, settled. So you have a lot of give and take between the the different cultures. Of course, the Spaniards and the Portuguese came. They brought things from their cultures. But then they also picked up a lot of things from the Americas. For example, they didn't even know what a tomato was until they went to Mexico and found the tomate or to the Andes Mountains, Bolivia, Peru, and found the papa, the potato. So they've uh, really been in constant communication ever since 1492, right? And still also, for example, when um, the Spanish Civil War took place, many Spaniards sought refuge in exile in Latin America. And vice versa, when the dictatorships of the 70s took place in Chile and Argentina, they sought refuge in Spain, many of them. So there's always this back and forth. From a, a filmmaker's perspective, what are some of the, the, the similarities between these regions? What are some of the differences you see in, in the way in which artists are communicating in, in the Latin American countries and in Spain and Portugal? Well, Spain and Portugal tend to have more of a European point of view, more of a first world point of view. But there is a lot in common as far as the need to have more thought-provoking films. And it seeks to not only entertain, but educate and have the public participate 
with what's going on in the film and trying to shake up their brain a little bit so that they'll take some action, which is sort of what we're trying to do with this Latino Film Festival, Latino and Iberian Film Festival. For example, with The Hand That Feeds, we're having Unidad Latina de Acción, an organization which unites immigrant workers. And after seeing this documentary about immigration, we're going to have a discussion, bilingual discussion, with the immigrant workers. Well, let's talk a bit about that film, and we're going to hear a clip in a moment. But tell us a bit more about The Hand That Feeds. The Hand That Feeds um, is a documentary made by Rachel Lears. She lives in New York, and she observed that many of the workers in New York and all of the restaurants and all the uh, delis are Latinos. And she started talking to them and found out that they were undocumented Latinos and that they were not being paid proper wages. And then she found this one worker, Mahoma, who decided to join a group, the protests in New York. The Occupy, Wall Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street. They uh, helped him form a an idea for a union, to unionize and to get fair wages. I mean... They don't want anything extraordinary, but earning $200 a week to work 60 hours is just not fair. Well, let's listen to a, to a little clip from the film now. Estás a la mitad del río y estás viendo México y estás viendo Estados Unidos. Dices, wow, pero yo qué tengo que estar haciendo aquí? Ya llegas acá, te instalas y ves la verdadera situación de cómo es que se ganan los dólares, ¿no? Somos indocumentados, pero eso no quiere decir que tengan que lucrar con el hambre de nosotros. It can't be stressed enough how critical it is to organize low-wage industries. The reality of the U.S. economy is that this is the future of our economy. And that's from the documentary, The Hand That Feeds. It's part of a film festival at Yale University that we're talking about on the program today. The Latino and Iberian Film Festival at Yale begins on Wednesday, November 11th, and ends on Sunday, November 15th. Margarita Tortoro, who is the director of this festival, is here with us today. Um, th- that small clip and, and a little bit of what we hear, and we hear, I, I assume it's the filmmaker at the end talking, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it tells the story that, that you're setting up here, and I think it rubs up against so many issues that are at the heart of what people are talking about in America today. There's immigration, certainly, but there's what we call, you know, fair wages or living wages. And the people in this film are having the same conversation about living wages, but they're having it with the overlay of their immigration status at the same time. Exactly. And that's been a problem because our immigration system here really does not function right. It's almost impossible to come into this country legally. Basically, to get a visa to come here, you have to prove that you have a lot of money and a home back where you live. So why would you want to come here if you had all of that? And people who do come here, it's usually out of desperation. It's not an easy enterprise to come here. So many die trying to cross the desert. So it's usually that they feel that they have no choice, that either they'll die or they'll make it. This idea that people have no choice, it's something that we've 
talked about for years when we hear of people coming from Mexico to come work in kitchens in the United States, but certainly also a, a year, year and a half ago when we had this huge influx of very young migrants coming from Central and South America because they're fleeing very, very dangerous situations. And I, I'm sure that this film and all these films to a certain way are really meant to open people's eyes to, to the reality of people's lives, like why they would make this terrible journey and want to work so hard for so little money. Actually, it's important that you mention that because this opens with Luis Argueta, the Guatemalan filmmaker, presenting a test screening of his brand new documentary called The U-Turn. And it's about the young underage workers that were arrested and deported in Postville, Iowa, at the biggest ice raid in the history of this country, an agro-processor's meatpacking industry. And he and other activists have now gotten them U-turn visas to come back and testify against agriprocessors because it was really child labor abuse. So that's going to be at the Yale Law School. And I think that discussion is going to be wonderful. One of the things about using film to tell these stories is that and this is a it's sort of a sad fact of the way that life and art and culture works. I think it probably works this way in Latin American countries. It works this way in Europe and in America, too, which is that most of the people who, frankly, will come to see these films will nod in agreement with the sentiments that are being expressed and will be outraged together at the horrors that they see. But people who share different beliefs likely will not see these films. Yes, you're right. And that's kind of sad. But every once in a while, I do get someone who said, well, you know, I really wasn't going to come see this, but I'm so glad I did because you gave the immigrants faces and personalities and lives and families, and now they're real people to me and not just numbers. Mm. And so I think that even if I get to one or two people who have that attitude, that stereotypical attitude, like we're hearing so much in politics today, they will understand the humanity behind the immigrant, put a face and name and life story to these immigrants. And I think that always changes one's perspective. Mm. Uh, you have another film that you brought to us, and it, it's about it's about Puerto Rico. And we've spoken on our program quite a bit about the recent fortunes of of the island, which have been so so desperate in yeah. in its economy. Of course, people who come from Puerto Rico back and forth to places like Hartford and Bridgeport regularly, as many of our listeners do, um, are not immigrants to this country. They're United States citizens. And Puerto Rico uh, holds a, a somewhat different place in this entire culture. Maybe you can tell us about this film and also uh, about the role that Puerto Rico plays in this cultural world that you're that you're uh, telling about in this festival. Well, Puerto Rico has a very special case because it was one of the very last colonies of the Spanish Empire. Both um, Puerto Rico and Cuba and also the Philippines fell to the United States um, in the Spanish-American War in 1898. So they were the very last colonies of the empire. And as a result, Cuba and Puerto Rico actually have the most Spanish influence. Many of the words used in Puerto Rico, for example, are much more like the Spanish used in Spain than what is spoken in Argentina or Mexico, for example. And Puerto Ricans always have this sort of dual idea of themselves because when you ask a Puerto Rican, de que país eres, what country are you from? They'll say Puerto Rico, right? Consider themselves a country, but they've never actually been a country because first they were a colony of Spain, then a colony of the United States, 
Then in 1952, they became a commonwealth of the United States called Estado Libre Asociado, free associated state <laughs> of, of the United States. Yeah, th- those, those three terms you use, it's so interesting, free associated state, right? And that's actually, <laughs> it's not really a dual identity. It's three identities because many Puerto Ricans uh, want to be a, a free country, their own island, their own mm-hmm. uh, nation. Many want to remain associated as a commonwealth, and many would like to be a state, would actually like to be the 51st state and be part of the United States fully. And I, I know that 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 plays itself out in so much of the the writing, so much of the journalism, and I'm I'm assuming so much of the filmmaking that comes off the island. Exactly, yes. And actually some of that you could be seen. This is a beautiful documentary by Sonia Fritz. It's called Quince Faros de Puerto Rico, Fifteen Lighthouses of Puerto Rico. And by visiting each of these fifteen lighthouses, you get a history of Puerto Rico and a story behind it. Sonia Fritz actually is Mexican, but she met her husband in Mexico, who is Puerto Rican and has been living in Puerto Rico for 30 years. So we affectionately call her the Borimex, Boricua, <laughs> Mexican, right? The Borimex. And um, she's coming and going to be presenting that film at 9 o'clock at night on Saturday, the uh, 14th. And the idea behind this film, first of all, it's beautiful. I mean, the photography is just gorgeous. But some of these lighthouses were built while Puerto Rico was still a Spanish colony. And the story behind them, like in the Morro, uh, the big fort in San Juan, uh, had a lighthouse there. And then the U.S. took over and built a couple of other ones and took the Coast Guard took over the maintenance of the lighthouses. So she even um, interviews families of innkeepers, goes through the history of these lighthouses, the importance that these lighthouses had for the community and for the sailors, of course. So it's very interesting because it's um, a beautiful view of Puerto Rico and also has this duality between Spanish um, uh, the Spanish colony and the after the U.S. takeover. Let's listen to a small clip. Tienen que dejar llevar por una luz. Tienen que localizarse en lo que se llama una carta náutica, en donde ellos se puedan localizar y puedan tener un punto de referencia, y eso es lo que el faro les brinda. Las tablas que tenemos en el cristal marcan un tiempo específico para la luz. Este faro son 30 segundos. El marinero lo que va a hacer es va a ver esa luz, pues la carta náutica le dice. La luz rodó 30 segundos. Así el marino puede identificar que este es el faro de San Juan. What are we hearing there? We're hearing the importance that these lighthouses have uh, to the sailors, to the people who are in the ships, and how these uh, lighthouses guide them and mark the area for the, the sailors. So the importance it had because they're very dangerous seas around Puerto Rico, like um, uh, the Mona Canal is uh, renowned for shipwrecks. So a lot of the pirate ships and things are said to be sunken there. Um, But even um, a lot of people have um, shipwrecks in that area because the currents are so strong. And then there's coral reefs, etc. So these lighthouses really played and still play to some extent really important roles. And also in 
sort of um, marking at a distance where these different areas are of the island, the, the different points of the island. Mm. Um, one practical last question for you. For, for people who don't speak Spanish or Portuguese, uh, for people who don't know very much about the styles of cinema that you're presenting, is it for them too? Oh, yes. Every film has English subtitles. None of the films are just in Spanish. They all have English subtitles, and the Portuguese ones, of course, also English subtitles. And all of the conversation is going to be bilingual. Uh, I want to thank Margarita Tortora. Thank you very much, and um, congratulations on the festival. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having us, and I hope a lot of people will come and enjoy these films. Coming up next, right after the break, West End Blend is back in our studio. They've got a new record called Rewind, and they're playing live and talking a bit about their music. That's next, Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. We've been fortunate to feature a lot of amazing local music on our show over the years. Folk and rock bands, classical guitarists, and jazz saxophonists. We've presented live, no safety net improvisation in South Indian traditional vocalists and string quartets. But we've probably never had more fun than when we've spent time with West End Blend, a really big band made up of very talented and very young musicians residing in and around Hartford's West End neighborhood. We first saw them when they took over Black Eyed Sally's in downtown Hartford and turned it into an enormous dance party. The band's a little bit earth, wind, and fire with nods to old-school soul and hip-hop, New Orleans music, jam bands, and jazz. Even their early experiments with Afrobeat still leave an imprint on their sound today. Months after that first experience, we taped a show with them at Telefunken Studios in South Windsor. At the time, they were just putting out an EP with a few songs. Now their first full-length record called Rewind is out and they're playing shows all over New England, including at Bryac in Bridgeport on November 14th and at The Spot in Providence on November 27th. They joined us this time for a special performance of some of their new songs in the Chase Family Studio here at CPBN. The crowd you'll hear is all members of our team here. They took a break from making TV and radio and stuff for the web to come by and listen with us. We'll talk to the band in just a bit, but first here's West End Blend performing Get By. In fact, if you want to see a short video of them playing this song, just go to our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. I 
That's West End Blend performing Get By off their new record called Rewind. They performed for us in front of a live audience here at CPBN's Chase Family Studio. In fact, if you want to see a short video of them playing this song, just go to our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. In between songs, I talk with vocalist Eric O'Brien, trumpeter and singer Mike Bafondo, and drummer Sam Horan, one of the group's founders. First, I asked Erica, what's changed for them since the last time we talked? Well, we have... Um 
grown our fan base. We've been doing a lot more festivals, and we got a van that has allowed us to travel uh, a little bit more than we would have otherwise. So it's been a lot of fun just kind of like bringing in new music and, you know, being able to travel and uh, just kind of getting closer with all these guys. So. So where are you traveling to? I mean, where, where, where are the gigs taking you? Where is this nice new van taking you? Uh, we've been out to uh, Block Island, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, upstate New York, all kind of around the northeast. We're trying to expand more towards uh, Philly, hopefully get down south soon. But uh, for now, pretty much northeast, upstate New York, kind of that area. Is there like a, a funk band scene that you travel with? Are there other people out there who are playing the music you're playing? Well, not necessarily the music we're playing, but other bands. We have a lot of friends like the Funky Dogs Brass Band are good friends of ours. McLovin's are family of ours. We, you know, we try to help each other out, do what we can, and, you know spread the love you know yeah. what is the scene like right now I mean, as far as you guys getting out there and playing in a wider area than than just right around the greater hartford in the connecticut area i mean what's the scene like for you right now well we have um we've found that there's a lot of in addition to funk there's a lot of hip-hop going on around hartford some of our friends as well um and we've also been working with a lot of them through Hartford, through Brooklyn, New York, through Ithaca, New York, through just a, a lot of like really cool like Afro beat slash hip hop slash funk slash soul. And there's a lot of like different sort of underground music that's like popping up that we're like trying to get involved in and like be a part of. And it's really cool to like, you know, see um, some of them, our friends growing with us. In that experience. The, the first song we heard uh, called Get By Me. What, what can you tell me about the song? So that was actually written, uh, music music was written by our very own, one of our guitarists over here, Jesse Combs. I uh, contributed some of the lyrics as well. It kind of turned into a song about, um, you know, just kind of starting something new with someone. Um, <laughs> just kind of making it work with that person and, you know, seeing where it goes from there which I guess is pretty, uh, it kind of works for a lot of different experiences that we've had as a band, so, which I'm kind of just realizing now, but, you know. <laughs> just figuring this out, huh? I, I want to wander back to, to Sam Horan, the, the, the drummer uh, who we, we talked to before. Sam, good to see you once again. Good to see you too, John. So uh, tell us about the record that you guys are now touring around that you just put out in September. It took a, a little bit of time to put this together. Yeah, it, it took about an entire year from September to September. But yeah, it's it's kind of like our first real product that we can all say that we're really proud of. I mean, we were proud of the EP, but it was just not enough to use to really get somewhere um, because it was just not enough material. Now we can actually say we have a full album of original material and um, something that is a product that we're all really proud of and worked really hard on, so... Yeah, so, so, so tell me about what we're going to hear next. Uh, the next song we're going to play is, um, it's called By the Phone, and it's one of this kind of newer directions we're kind of going in, so it, it has that, you'll hear elements of pop, it's got these catchy, catchy lines, but you'll also hear a lot of kind of progressive jazz-influenced elements as well, so we're kind of like trying to push into the pop realm but also keeping our jazz writing and that kind of musicality involved as well. The song is called By the Phone. It's West End Blend. They're playing for us live in front of an audience here in our studio, which is something I'm really excited about. Uh, you're listening to Where We Live. Here's West End Blend.
That's West End Blend performing live in CPBN's Chase Family Studio. That song is called By the Phone, and it's on their new release called Rewind. 
When we come back, we'll hear more music and more conversation. This is where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on Monday's show, the world's population is growing fast, but are our agricultural systems ready to feed the 9 to 10 billion people who will be on the planet by 2050? We'll revisit our recent conversation with author and environmental journalist Joel Bourne. His new book is called The End of Plenty, The Race to Feed a Crowded World. I hope you can join us. Today, we're thrilled to have the big, funky Hartford band West End Blend back on the show. They've got a new release called Rewind, and they've got shows coming up at Bryack in Bridgeport on November 14th and at The Spot in Providence on November 27th. Recently, they stopped by our CPBN Chase Family Studio to play for a live Friday audience. Before we hear more from the band talking, let's hear more of them playing. I mentioned earlier that their music reminds me of the great funk and soul band Earth, Wind, and Fire, but trumpeter Mike Buffondo, who you'll hear singing on this next song called Come Around, has a big love for jam bands in The Grateful Dead. Let's see what you hear in this song. Here's West End Blend on Where We Live. Just for a moment 
That's West End Blend performing their song, Come Around, from their new record, Rewind. They recently stopped by our studios to play for a live crowd of our co-workers who got to dance a little bit. I asked vocalist Erica Bryan how hard it is to get together a band that's as big as 13 pieces on a regular basis. We do all meet up on Mondays to rehearse. We kind of just work with that. We kind of just make sure we have a time when everybody can meet up. But, I mean, no one has a 13-piece th- band anymore. I mean, how's that? I mean, that's got, it's going to be hard to, to pull all these people together. Everyone's got day gigs, right? You all got things to do, but you're all coming together on Mondays, and you're able to get out on the road and do this. That's, that's an amazing commitment, really, right. for this gr- uh, size group to all come together and all be pulling in the same direction. Right. It's just something that we have to remember. Um, and as we've gotten more gigs, you know, and we've gotten more, you know, kind of more attention, um, we have realized that this is something that's going to be bigger. It's going to get bigger, and we need to really kind of focus and remember that while we do have all of these um, all of these other commitments, we make sure we let, you know, West End blend, you know, let each other know what's going on in our lives so that we can sort of plan around that or, like, you know, um, work with that or however we need to do it. So we just kind of coordinate with each other's schedules, but also keep in mind that this is something that we all really, you know, want to be a part of, and we make it work. I got to ask, we we talked to Sam about his plan for um, Northeast domination, taking the van out all over the place. I mean, what do you think? What do you you want to make of all this? I mean, how how are you guys going to do this year after year? Uh, I just want to make music, and I love playing with these guys, and we love playing with each other, and it just feels right. It feels good, so that's that's all I cool with (laughs) i mean for those uh, people who've listened to our show before and heard you guys on the first time i mean maybe they know the story but you can just tell us quickly sam how you guys all got together in the first place because again you all have very different backgrounds but you're all right here in hartford yeah so basically the guitarist jesse combs and i got down with an idea where we wanted to start a big band specifically to play out and make people dance and it's meant to have a good time band um and so we said okay so let's just uh come up with a number and like and what instruments we want and then we say okay so who can we call 
And we said, you know, well, we live right here in the West End. We're surrounded by just a bunch of people from University of Hartford. Like a lot, of, a lot of the guys in this band are from UHart and and just uh, the area. So we're saying, you know, it's the most convenient way to get a big band together is to have it kind of be like convenient for everyone. So we all lived in the same block. We all would meet on Wednesday nights. It's now Mondays, but it was Wednesday Blends Day at one point. Um, I remember that. Yeah, Wednesday Blends Day. So basically we got everyone over, started um, running some songs. Some people had some original ideas. And, um, you know, it. the band that you see now is definitely different than the band that you've seen when we first met. Um, and the band that you saw when we first met was different when the first band started. And and so now I feel like we're really down to a core group of of dedicated members and everyone who has their head in the right game. Um, and that's kind of where we are now. We're going to hear one more tune. This is from their new record. It's called Rewind. Uh, they've got a couple shows upcoming at Briac and Bridgeport, November uh, 14th, and The Spot in Providence on November 27th, touring all over in December. Erica Bryan, Sam Horan, Tom Sullivan, Jesse Combs, Mike DePamphilo, John Mundy, Mike Bufundo, Mike Oman, and Vicky Medeiros, their West End blend. Thank you guys so much. It was great to hear you once again. And let's hear one more song. What are we going to hear? We're actually going to do Fresh Like a New Dollar, Excellent. which is an original of mine. Um, it's actually the last track off of the album. Tell us about Here the song. we go. Well, the song, <laughs> I realized I spent so much time um, writing lyrics that sort of had to do with you know, sort of meeting people and sort of relationships and stuff like that. I kind of just wanted to write a song that was um, about just, you know, feeling good, feeling feeling fresh, like a new dollar. So, I mean, how whatever that really means. Uh, I honestly can't really tell you where that title came from. But it's just sort of, um, <laughs> just sort of like an anthem of just kind of being in the right place, feeling like you've come into your own and, you know, so... That that sort of that sort of vibe. I just wanted it to be s- with a touch of silliness. <laughs> so, okay. well, we're in the right place with you guys. Thank you so much for coming out and playing for us, everybody. West End Blend, one more time. Give it up for them. Dollar. 
West End Blend, performing Fresh Like a New Dollar, live in CPBN's Chase Family Studio. Their new record is called Rewind. I want to thank the band, Erica Bryan, Sam Haran, Tom Sullivan, Jesse Combs, Mike DePampolo, John Mundy, Mike Bufundo, Mike Oman, Vicky Medeiros. Thanks also to Sean Rubin for doing the sound, and to Heather Dawson, Joe Koss, Ryan King, Beth Messina, and Todd Gray for helping with our live in-studio concert. You can see a video of West End Blend playing for us at wnpr.org slash where we live. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown, Tucker Ives, Betsy Kaplan, and Josh Nalea. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. The digital editor is Heather Brandon, and our executive producer is Katie Talarski. I'm John Dankowski. Thanks for joining us.